This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 49, Comic Reviews for the week of January the 30th. Welcome once again to the show. This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 49. We're looking at the comics uh, that were released January the 30th, or the week of January the 30th. I'm your host, Adam Chapman, and... Uh, Today we're going to look at uh, the, the comics that were released this past week. Uh, unfortunately, there was about 25 or so books, so actually a relatively small uh, uh, release amount uh, compared to the, some of the most recent weeks. However, I just didn't have a, as much of the time where, to be honest, some of the books I was looking at, I was trying to read them, and I was like, you know what, I'm not interested in some of these. So I've, obviously I try to give books a, a shake that I haven't read before, but there are some that um, sometimes I'll try to read them, and they just don't really pull me or engage me or I'm not really caught up on the characters or stories so some some books do kind of fall off the radar a bit but then I hope to eventually get back to them um one in particular was uh Superman because now that I guess Lobdell and Rockefort are on it I kind of want to give it a shot although the cover always throws me off a bit and then it's part of this hell on earth storyline that's crisscrossing through Supergirl and Superboy and to be honest I have no interest whatsoever in that storyline so it's kind of made me stay away from those books while that storyline is going on. I just because I, I have no real interest in the characters and and what they're doing with it. And to be honest, like maybe when I read it as a collected edition, you know, year and a half from now, whenever DC actually wants to release it, maybe I'll find it really engaging and interesting, and I'll totally recant you know what I've said here. But uh, for now, at least, it, it has failed to really capture my attention, so that's why I kind of gloss over it. So the first book we're going to look at this week is Aquaman number 16. Uh, so this continues the Throne of Atlantis storyline. So far, it's a pretty interesting read. Um, I think the Justice League chapters have been a little bit more interesting or engaging. I, I, part of it's the artwork. I'm a big fan of Paul Pelletier, but this is not necessarily his best work in this book. Uh, Ivan Reyes, who used to be the illustrator on Aquaman, has moved over to Justice League, and his stuff has been just absolutely fantastic on that book uh, during this storyline. So... Of the two books, I prefer those chapters just because I think the art's a lot better. It's still good here, but again, now that we're dealing with the Trench characters as well, uh, the Trench were introduced by Ivan Reyes, so I prefer his take on the characters because it's, I don't know, it's just what I'm used to. Um, it's not to say that the art by Pelletier isn't good. It is. Um, now, Jeff Johns wrote this. He's writing, obviously, both chapters. So it, it very much, like, you have to be reading Justice League and Aquaman. Otherwise, this won't make a lot of sense because you're missing half the story. That being said, it's a great book. It's very engaging. Obviously, it feels more like an Aquaman story than a Justice League story. And what I mean by that is, if you didn't read the first year and a half or year and a bit of Justice League, and then you and you were just reading Aquaman, and then you added in the Justice League parts of Throne of Atlantis, I think would make complete sense. You wouldn't have missed really anything. Whereas, it feels much more intrinsic to the Aquaman that if you didn't read the Aquaman issues, you'd be like, who's the Trench? Who's Volko? Um, who's Dr. Shin? Who are all these people? Whereas, you get a lot... If you've been following Aquaman, you kind of get all the base pieces, and the only part you may not get is about... Cyborg not being able to go into water, but they address that in like the first or second part of this storyline anyway. Um, and now he's been able to, he's been changed and they've made the modifications to him so that now he can operate underwater. So it's kind of a moot point. So if you're an Aquaman fan and you've been enjoying it since the reboot, which to be honest, most people who have been at least giving it a try seem to have enjoyed it. It's been really enjoyable. Uh, stripped down, but uh, kind of the basic kind of elements of the character. Um, but holding a kind of a new way that's a little bit more hard edge and giving giving Aquaman a bit more of a spine and making him cool. 
Uh, and then having Ivan Reyes in artwork does not hurt because <laughs> he's a wonderful penciler. Um, now, the only parts of this issue I really didn't like, so you have the idea that you have the Justice League has been kind of trapped at the bottom of the trench. Uh, you have uh, a missile launch when it happened in the first issue, uh, which has prompted uh, Ocean Master to lead the armies of Atlantis into the into the U.S., and they might sink Boston or, uh, or Gotham. These are the cities they've been attacking. Uh, the Justice League has been temporarily kind of vanquished, and so Cyborg has to call in reinforcements at the last issue of Justice League, which, uh, if you know the pre-New uh, 52 Ju- Justice League, it makes perfect sense to bring in characters like Vixen and Firestorm and Hawkman. Uh, it makes less sense in this universe because there's been no real discussions on who any backups would be, etc. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of... The, the way the new Hawkman works, uh, looks visually, sometimes it looks cool, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, Pelletier does a fairly good job, but it doesn't quite jive for me. Um, there's some pages here where it looks really, uh, almost, not over-inked, but almost like I had less colors. Because there's some uh, some pages where the colors give it this this, this kind of sheen, uh, and then there's others, others where it kind of looks uh, like it's kind of lacking. It's almost matte. It's less glossy and more matte. Uh, and it gives it less of a, a vibrant glow, which sounds really weird, and but that's basically how I thought. I did like the um, the kind of cliffhanger here, although I'm, I'm wondering how that fits in because with how we've seen that character already portrayed. But I'm interested to see where they're going to go with this and what that really means. But um, I also liked Batman and Aquaman kind of working together. He, um, Batman not being able to kind of leave his pod, but because he has his gadgets, he's still able to be useful. Because that was like one of my first thoughts, like, okay, Batman's going to die, right? Like. Obviously, he won't die, and he can't die. But, and if he could die, he'd just come back anyway. But, you have him in a situation where he literally is a fish out of water, which is a weird uh, comment to make in this case. Anyways, I enjoyed this book. I gave it an 8 out of 10. It was, it was fairly enjoyable. Uh, next up is Avengers number 4, which uh, the first three issues I really enjoyed. Um, it was kind of a very concise story, kind of setting up this new Avengers world kind of concept. And then this issue is more about aim um the uh, growth i guess pods or whatever that landed on earth as a result of the first three issues uh the avengers try to find the sixth one and uh and finding out more and the reader finding out more about where hyperion came from um and i found it really interesting the uh the issue is guest illustrated by adam kubert who does uh, a really brilliant job actually it's really striking um i really enjoyed how he made uh, Hyperion look, uh, telling the kind of those flashbacks. Uh, it's just the, it's the little details that I really liked artistically. Um, the story, I like that you got this giant squad of, of an Avengers, but we're not going to be looking at the entire squad all the time. They are going to be breaking it up in different issues, and I really dug that. It looks also like Adam Kubert inked himself, um, and I think that actually worked really strongly. There's some pages that aren't as strong, but whenever you have a close-up shot of, uh, of Hyperion, like it's interesting. Like I'm looking at one of these pages, and you got this really great, you know, close up on Hyperion's face, and then you have this next panel. And it pulls back, and it looks very rudimentary. Like there's not a lot really being illustrated on the page. It's very generic. There's no faces on the characters because you're far enough away that I guess you can get away with it. Um, and that kind of page isn't as good. And then the next page, it, it's a little bit better, but again, the detail is a little scant. But you have this good look at at Mark Milton. 
or, or I guess Marcus Milton. And then the next panel is a close-up on, on Adam Cooper's eyes. And then you have a lot of detail. And you really feel like you're getting a lot out of that image. Like, it's really strong. You're only getting a tight close-up on his eyes, but it means something because of the way that it's being framed in the story. So it's kind of a weird issue in that way that you have kind of like these intense close-ups and there's a lot of detail and you know exactly what's happening and then you kind of pull back and you lose some of that detail. But overall, I found it to be really engaging. The new look for AIM, I kind of dig it. Uh, I think they kind of made them look like this in the cartoon, Earth's Mightiest Heroes. Um, but I, overall, I enjoyed the issue. It didn't necessarily move the story along as much as the last three. This one felt a lot more about characterization, but that was okay because I wanted to learn more about this version of Hyperion, how he got here, how the Avengers kind of saved him, and how he ended up on the team. So that, that was okay. I, mean, I enjoyed that. Um, I'm really excited about you know being able when this eventually comes out in trade, being able to share it with others because I, I this is a book that I think um, is really going to read really well in a collected edition, especially over time. I think once you have more and more issues come out, it'll start kind of you'll see things lock into place. I feel uh, mainly the same way about um, his new uh, Hickman's new Avengers run as well because Jonathan Hickman obviously is one of my favorite writers. I've talked about it a lot on the show before. And I'm really interested to see kind of what he does with the idea of the Avengers and uh, kind of expanding the concept and also what he's going to do with the Illuminati over in the new Avengers book. So I'm excited to see how the two books will kind of uh, operate in the same kind of space. So I give that an 8.5 out of 10. It deserves every point there. Uh, next book on the list is Batman Incorporated number 7. I'm not a huge fan of uh, Grant Morrison in general, but I did kind of like this book. Um... I do like the idea that, you know, it's kind of a common theme this week that Robin is kind of taking center stage and needing to confront uh, danger on his own terms, so to speak. Uh, we saw that, I guess, twice. Um, this is an interesting book, though, because Batman's kind of taken off the map for basically the entire issue. He's taken off the, the playing board by Talia, and we see a lot of the aftermath of the last few issues of what's happened to Batman's squad and how everyone's kind of been t- taken out. Um, we learned, we have some revelations about, I guess, basically the, the second Damien, um, who's been fully grown and now exists. Uh, there's a lot of near misses for the, uh, the bat kids. Um, but overall, like this was a really engaging, uh, story. The artwork isn't my favorite. Um, but, here it kind of worked. It kind of it, it reminds me of Frank Quietly without being Frank Quietly because it kind of has that weird um, perspectives or the weird kind of. I'm thinking of a like there's a, a panel in here when you have the Leviathan troops marching into a building and the way that he Chris Burnham actually illustrates these characters reminds me a lot of how Frank Quietly illustrated Cyclops during the new event uh, new X Men run. Uh, that weird kind of slim, the, especially the face and the facial expression kind of reminded me of it. Um, that's very specific, obviously. Overall, though, it was still engaging. It was interesting. I'm interested to see where it goes. I'm interested yeah, to see. I, I feel like at times it feels like the book will speed up and I don't know how it's going to last long enough to get to last the amount of issues we're supposed to be getting. And then it will slow down and then I don't know where we're going. So I, I kind of got this weird start-stop uh, sensibility from the book. Overall, though, still good, still an engaging story. Seven, I gave it an 8 out of 10. Uh, next up is Batman Dark Knight number 16, which felt like a very prolonged issue. It didn't really get to the point. Basically, it's Mad Hatter. He's in the New 52. He's crazy. 
that's about it. Um, there's not a lot in terms of actually setting up the story. Like we get the idea that there's a lot of uh, these kidnappings all over town, and then random murders of these some of the people being kidnapped, but not everyone. Uh, Greg Hurwitz wrote this. Our work is by Ethan Van Skyver, who I do enjoy. Um, I did not find his artwork was necessarily all up to the high standards he's had in the past. I thought there were some pages where it was kind of lacking in the details, or it looked it looked rushed. And then there's other shots of Batman, which look almost. Like, they look so good, but I was like, okay, well, you spent a lot of time on some of these shots of Batman, and then you'll turn the page, and you can tell that the detail's kind of, it's gone a lot more scanty. It's not as uh, on point, I guess. And I've really, I guess, looking at the artwork here, I've come around to the bat armor. I didn't like it when it first came out, but now I'm more and more okay with it. Um, but I just found that the story, I like that they have the idea of uh, Batman, have his love interest is still kind of this being an ongoing thing in this book, so that's appreciated. Because uh, there isn't much continuity for uh, Bruce Wayne as a character uh, in any of the Bat books. I mean, for Batman there is, more or less. But uh, for Bruce Wayne, not as much. So I'm, in- I'm glad that we got a little bit more on on that score. Um, that being said, again, I felt like it was a little too too slow and too much of a setup. I wanted to see a little bit more of getting to the point. Uh, we get it. Matt Hatter's crazy. He's brutal. He'll take someone's eyes out with his fingers. Kind of just want to move on from there and see what's going to happen next. Um, so that was my main complaint with that issue. I gave it a 7 out of 10. It was still good. It still looked pretty good. Uh, again, the artwork wasn't quite up to Van Skyver's best, but it was still pretty solid stuff. Hurwitz's script could be punched up a little bit. It could be tightened. And I think you could lose a little bit of the, of the extra, a little bit of the, of the chafe. And you could have made it a little bit more of a, I don't know, thrilling story. Because I just kind of felt like we had this big, long lead-up, and then it ends. And I, in, a, in this age of comics... That doesn't really work anymore. I mean, especially with prices increasing all the time, people want, you want to get a little bit more entertainment for your buck, and getting all set up doesn't doesn't work as much as it did maybe you know eight years ago. Plus, with DC having such a notoriously slow uh, release schedule for all of its trades and hardcovers, like if I wanted to get this in trade, uh, I first they take long enough to put it in hardcover, and then I got to wait even longer to get it in trade. So. Being able to ever kind of pick up trades and be able to jump into these kinds of books where I won't have to worry about this being one issue that didn't really add much, but instead it'll just be a chapter in a collection, I have to wait forever in order for that to happen. So they're very, they're not helping, I think the the, the joke for years was Marvel worked too hard on making their um, their graphic novel, or sorry, their trade paperback program too aggressive, and DC did, didn't do enough. And like the fact that, for example, for tomorrow, which I believe is a 2004 or five storyline with Superman, um, that's finally coming out in a combined trade for the first time because it had been in two broken up trades. It's finally coming out in a combined trade on February the sixth. That is kind of ludicrous because it's like what eight or nine years after the story was originally published, which is kind of crazy. Anyways, aside from that diatribe, uh, let's move on to the next book: Batman and Robin Annual. Uh, you know, you gotta like doing three Bat books right in a row. Uh, Batman and Robin Annual, I really, really enjoyed this. I gave it a 9 out of 10. Um, it was just really, really strong. It felt like an annual in the best sense of the word, because sometimes annuals, uh, they kind of exist, but they don't feel like they mean as much, but this definitely felt like it, it mattered to the flow of the characters. Um, and it mattered, yeah, it mattered to Damian Wayne, and it mattered to Bruce, and as a reader, I just found it really enjoyable. Like, it was a great read all the way through. It was an extended read, which is even better. Like, who doesn't love, uh, was it, like, I think it's got, like, 39 pages or something. Like, it's it's a it's a lengthier read, 
and it definitely feels really fun and enjoyable. It could be its own thing. It could just exist on its own, but it doesn't. It it uh, anyways. It's written by Peter J. Tomasi, who obviously is the writer of the Batman Robin book, which again helps lad- add a little bit more legitimacy uh, and uh, also makes this more canon because he's the writer of the regular Batman and Robin book. Therefore, it's more likely that it will matter going forward. Um, the artwork is by Ardian Siaf. Uh, who's not the regular artist on Batman and Robin, but he does a great job here. They've He's worked with uh, Tomasi before. The general uh, idea of the story is that Damian Wayne sends Bruce Wayne on basically a, a, like a treasure hunt, um, and he goes he finds these different kind of artifacts of long before he was around, but from his parents. And it's kind of him connecting both with both his son, because his son was able to find these things, and also with his past and his and his parents, because, you know, he holds them in such high regard, but at the same time, he closes himself off to the memories of his parents in order to soldier on. He never got over that moment. So, uh, And while this is happening, Damien is taking the liberty of basically creating the Batman costume he wears in uh, Grant Morrison's future Batman stories. Uh, basically a miniature version of it, because he's, he's only 10 years old, um, that he can wear. And so he tries to put on the Bat voice and do what Batman does and be Batman for a day. Or three to four days, as the case might be. Um, so I really, really dug that part of the story. I also liked how, you know, in the first part of the story, you have uh, Alfred and Bruce traveling together, and then Alfred takes off. Is like, you know, and Bruce is like, you know what? I'm going to do the rest on my own. It's okay. You can stay in London. You can be, you know, be an actor for a little bit. You can reconnect with some old friends, uh, some old flames, etc. Um, so there, uh, everyone here really gets a chance to shine. Alfred gets a few key moments. Uh, Bruce gets some really nice stuff that him kind of rediscovering his own past and his history and then you got some really hilarious moments with uh damien as batman which i just found really fun and enjoyable like there's some ridiculous stuff that happens here and they're kind of making fun of him and um he meets up with gordon and gordon's kind of throwing he's like is that robin like is that not even batman but overall this was a really enjoyable story uh again it had action it had characterization both for damien and for bruce uh, I think this is well worth your money to pick up. Obviously, it's a little bit more expensive because it's an annual, but yeah, to be honest, I think it's worth it. I gave it a 9 out of 10. Next book we're going to take a look at is Flash number 16. Flash is so infuriating as a book because I want it to be so much better than it is, but it never seems to get there. Uh, I gave this issue a 7 out of 10. It's written by Francis Manipal and Brian Bucciolato, and it's illustrated by Manipal with colors by Bucciolato. Um, overall, I mean, it's it's... There's, the artwork is so good. Like there's the first few pages where it's a flashback. Um, I love the the tone that Bucciolato gets in the coloring. Uh, there's a certain classic classical sensibility in the artwork, and uh, I, and I love the uh, the cleanness of the the line work and of the faces. Like there's so there's so many things and touches that um, Manipal does that are just so unlike anyone else, uh, unlike any any other artist. And I just I love how it looks. Uh, the story. Yeah, it feels like it's dragging on a bit, and it it feels like ever since this book has kind of started, there's been some weird elements that have never really been fully explained or understood, uh, among those including Iris, and now all this stuff with Daniel West, which I'm guessing he must be related to the Reverse Flash or something, like, something's going on with that character, we're not really sure where it's going. Um, I'm excited to see the end of the Grodd storyline, just because I'm not a huge fan of this interpretation of Grodd. But then I'm, I've been spoiled. I was spoiled by Scott Collins and Jeff Johns' version. And 
it's not to take anything away from the current version, but that was such a primal, like, this is a character who is absolutely so powerful in his mind and, and bloodthirsty, but also this massive beast. Um, and this just didn't quite do it for me as well. There's certain parts of here that I really liked, but then it got a little confusing with the whole bind and dragging, I guess, Grodd into the speed force, and it just feels like they're trying to be very high at concept, and I think I'd almost be happier with a little bit lower concept and more... Like, I like Flash a lot, but I do recognize that, like, for example, the, for the first, what, 230 issues that Wally West was around, half the time when Mark Wade was writing his book, his book was confusing as all hell because it was about time travel all the time and all these alternate, you know, you had Walter West and you had all these weird things going on. And then when I was more, re- like, I've, I've read all that stuff, but I wasn't reading it when it happened. I read it afterwards. And then you read stuff by Jeff Johns, which is a lot less of the crazy and more about strong characters. And so I want a little bit more in terms of the strong characters and a little bit less in the crazy, whacked-out uh, situations. Although I appreciate that uh, Manipul and Brigilato are trying to do something different. Um, I may not necessarily be enjoying it as much as others, but you know what? That's okay. I think that they at least are trying, and they're not just doing regular, basic Flash stories that anyone could write. So I do give them credit for that, for trying something different. It may not necessarily be my cup of tea, but at least they're trying, and I give them the utmost amount of credit for that. Uh, so after Flash, so that was a 7 out of 10, uh, we have Green Lantern Corps Annual Number 1. Now, usually I would I do all my reviews uh, alphabetically. This time I'm actually going to switch that up, and I want to briefly talk about Red Lantern 16 first, mainly because of the way that the release, like, basically you need to read, if you're going to read Green Lantern Corps Annual, and you also pick up Red Lanterns, you should pick up Red Lanterns first and, and read that. Um, because it's, the the huge part of the issue, I mean, I was more interested in seeing what Atrocitus and the Manhunters was going to be like, and they basically, unfortunately, because I read the Green Lantern Corps annual first, I already knew exactly what was going to happen in the story. So I do think if you're planning on reading both, you should read this first because it makes more sense chronologically. So the the basic concept of this issue is you have Atrocitus, he's fighting against the Manhunters, he's able to take a kind of the lead Manhunter, and then take control of them, mark them with his brand, and send them to Oa to target the Guardians. That's basically the issue. You have the stuff with Blees and the other human uh, Red Lantern, and it's kind of interesting how they're kind of fighting and the idea of uh, him having to kill the person who is responsible for him kind of becoming this way. Is so, But overall, I mean, this book needs better artists and it doesn't than it has. I found the art to be relatively generic and a little bit uh, blah. And I've always said this about both Green Lantern and uh, Red Lantern, or any any book with a lantern in the cover, really. It needs to have a vibrant green or a vibrant red in order to really work. Um, it's just the nature of the characters. It's different than Swamp Thing. Like That green can be lush, and it doesn't need to be like this, almost this alien green. But when you have the Green Lantern Corps... Uh, they need to have, have a really bright green in order for me to really be captivated by the coloring. Red lanterns, you need to really have this this sparkling red, or just something special about the red, and that they just fail to achieve that with this issue. Yeah, it's written by Peter Milligan and artwork by Miguel Sepulveda. Uh, so I'll move from there from Red Lanterns, which I gave a seven out of ten because it was it was all right, but it wasn't the best book I've ever read. Uh, move on to Green Lantern Core Annual Number One. So Green Lantern Corps Annual Number 1 is the end of the Third Army storyline, but really, and this really pissed me off, so this is a conclusion. Theoretically, this is the conclusion of a storyline. Now, first of all, they've been doing such a piss-poor job of coordinating 
these this storyline that it's confusing. If you were only reading Green Lantern Corps, uh, you do not understand really what's going on with ba- Simon Baz or what's going on with Hal and uh, and Sinestro, which really kind of feels like they like they were off the map, and then that was kind of it. And we see flashes of this message from them, but there's been no real effort to bring them back, which is frustrating. You also have uh, New Guardians, where you have Kyle Rayner become the White Lantern. Okay, sure, why not? Like, is that even? I don't. I, there's some things I just don't get, and a part of it's because. The Green Lantern universe basically still happened, even though everything else in the New 52 has, has been wiped clean, but most of the Green Lantern stuff is still the same. I just find it confusing, you know, do Brightest Day still happen at all? Like, I don't know. I just find it really frustrating, because if DC really wanted to make it simple, they would at least say, this is what you need to know, this is how things worked out in this New 52, but they don't care. They're like, this is a reboot, whatever, and it's just like, no, no, this matters a lot to me, like... I know I'm a, I'm a cranky comic book fan. I'm a comic book fan who likes continuity. I would prefer that you explain how this makes sense. If you can't do that, then don't do it. And they don't care. So, I've tried to let that go, but it, certain times it bothers me. What really bothers me about this is that you have this big storyline theoretically end, but really, it doesn't end. It leads right into Wrath of the First Lantern. Well, you know what? Fuck you guys. Like, this is ridiculous. Like, this Third Army storyline felt so half-assed to begin with. They promoted it like, ooh, it's it's the rise of the Third Army. It was so poorly done. There was no coordination. It didn't feel like it was a real event at all. It felt like a non-event. It felt like it didn't matter. And then you have this big quote-unquote conclusion, which leads right into another storyline. You know what? Go to hell. Like, that's not cool. That's kind of dirty pool. It was already not a very good story, and I was looking forward to it at least be over. Nope, we're going right into a next event. Is that event actually going to be numbered? Is it actually going to crisscross between all the, you know, issues in a in a way that makes sense? Like I've read, I've been reading Green Lantern since I guess two thousand four or five with our Rebirth and then the Green Lantern series and eventually Sinestro Corps War, which is one of my favorite cross uh, Green Lantern cross crossovers of all time. Of really crossovers at DC at, at all, it's so well done. And then with each successive crossover, it seemed like they got more and more kind of confused on how to make a good storyline or a good crossover. And now you have this? Like, no thanks. I, I gave the issue a 7.5 because it was actually not a bad issue, but it would have been much higher if it wasn't for the ending because it did feel like you finally had all these strands coming together. I wasn't necessarily a big fan of how quickly some of it worked out, but whatever. Like, it's been going on long enough. I'm glad we were getting a conclusion. And then you get to the last page, and I'm just like, I'm out. No thanks. I don't care. You've stopped me from caring about this universe. I used to care so much about the Green Lantern universe, and ever since the New 52, I've really become so cool on it, and it just it just gets worse, and I'm disappointed in DC for letting this happen. Uh, next up is Hawkeye number 7. Now, this is a fantastic book. It's very different. Uh, because this was an issue, and if you read the letters page, you'll see why. Uh, after Hurricane Sandy, they put together this issue to kind of highlight what was going on. So they basically put two, the both Hawkeyes. You have um, uh, Hawk, well, Clint Barton and Kate Bishop, basically, you know, having these own these own little side adventures during uh, during the hurricane. And so Hawkeye ends up going with Grills, one of his friends in the tenement. Um, and he's helping him at his home, and then uh, when he's because he's going to basically take care of his dad, and his dad's like a cranky old man. And anyways, they have to 
kind of go up, up, up because there's so much water coming through and they're trying to save some stuff in the basements. And it was a very personal story. I liked how Hawkeye kind of interacted with everyone. This is a Clint Barton I really enjoy reading about because it's he's still got that kind of style to him. But there's also... He's also just a normal guy helping out friends. And that's what I kind of like about this book is that it doesn't try to be anything more than that. Um, it's at times can be a little high concept, but it's just so well done and it's so stripped down and enjoyable. Uh, and then just the way it's kind of ending with them like kind of in a boat together trying to get away from where they were. And then Kate Bishop's story, still good, not nearly as enjoyable, but uh, her kind of being in Jersey and then having to confront the, the flood on her own. Uh, the first story, I believe, is by Steve Lieber. The second story by Jesse Hamm, uh, in terms of the art. And Matt Fraction wrote it with the cover by David Aja. Matt Hollingsworth is the colorist, uh, so he helps to maintain a certain visual consistency. Like, if you read the first story, some of the panels, like, they look like they're still David Aja. Like, I know they're not, but they look like they could be. Part of this is the visual consistency in the colors by Hollingsworth. Um, and also just the, 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 to the uh, strength of the, the artist himself. Uh, this is a great book, really enjoyable. I gave it a, a 9 out of 10. Hawkeye is one of my favorite books on the stands right now. It's worth, you know, checking out. It's just so much fun. It feels like an old movie, like a, a, a nice 70s movie it, that still holds up. It's got brilliant artwork. Uh, which, they've had a bunch of different artists, but it's always been good, and the Matt Fraction is just killing it. He's just giving you a relatively simple story, but there's just so much nuance to it, and it's just so much fun. Uh, next up is... Punisher Warzone number four. Of the of the four issues, this is probably the weakest. Um, I still enjoyed it though. Now Punisher's kind of decided after his talk with Thor. Okay, I'm I'm, I'm headed back to New York. I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure that uh, my you know my partner doesn't die or doesn't get, get executed uh, for my crimes, especially. Uh, what I really like about it is that the idea that like you have uh, Black Widow kind of being like this is what this is what I think. Uh, Punisher would do. This is how I would do it if I had to sneak back into the city. Uh, there's some really cool stuff with Punisher as he kind of comes back to town. The best is that you have like Tony Stark not taking anything seriously, and then basically uh, Punisher takes him out in his own home, which is awesome. Uh, and then you have this great diversion because he's got these got he's Punisher has basically got these criminals to act as his proxies so that he can move in and uh, try and uh, rescue. Uh, Sergeant Alves, and it's this is just it's a lot of fun. It's a great read. Um, I'm interested to see what will happen in the next issue. It feels very thematically different from the rest of Rucka's run on the character, but I don't know. It is it, it definitely it it doesn't stand on its own because it really is the last five issues of his, uh, Greg Rucka's run on uh, on Punisher. But it's just such a fun and engaging read, although stylistically and thematically it's quite different from what we got in the main series. Um, but I like that we're, this wasn't necessarily the end we saw of Rachel Cole Alves, which is fair, because I'm, I'm interested to see where they'd go with her after this this miniseries, or where she'll end up after this issue, in issue number five. Um, the artwork is by Carmine Domenico. I think I massacred his name a little bit less. Usually I, I know his name better, I can pronounce it better, but not today for some reason. Uh, he's one of my favorite illustrators these days, um, and he does a, just a kick-ass job in, in bringing this issue to life. And Greg Rucka, fantastic writer. I'm just such a big fan of what he's been doing with The Punisher. I'm so sad it has to end, but I'm glad that he's kind of being able to go out like this. It feels like a bigger-than-life Punisher story, and I'm glad he's doing it. So I gave that uh, 
think I was going to give it an 8. I'm going to give it a 9 out of 10. I really dug that. Uh, next up uh, is Savage Hawkman number 16. Oh, Savage Hawkman. Um, I don't know why I've been reading this, to be honest. Like, I've been reading this in Deathstroke the last few uh, issues. And again, like, there's a lot of books where I've just kind of said, you know what, I didn't follow it before, I have no real interest. Fury of Firestorm is one of them. Um, whereas Savage Hawkman, I kind of like it. It's kind of ridiculous. Uh, Frank Tierra, sorry, Frank Tierra is a writer I really like. Uh, Joe Bennett is an artist I really like. Although his, his, his artwork here doesn't feel like, maybe it's the inks that aren't quite the same, but there's kind of a looseness to the pencils that I'm not a huge fan of. Um, I like the, overall the story was relatively generic, but you got Carter Hall, or sorry, you got Hawkman, who's trapped as a prisoner of Shira and her brother, um, basically then they try to escape, they're trying to make sure that the, the Emperor doesn't get the Nth Metal, and they're able to escape finally, and he's with his human friend, but unfortunately it looks like Shira goes boom, and blows up, but I'm sure that isn't the case. It's not the Thinking Man's comic, uh, but it's still okay. It's not Frank Thierry's best, but I feel like he's kind of salvaging what was already in place because of when uh, Rob Liefeld was plotting the book and originally writing it as well. So um, I kind of give him some slack there. I gave it a six and a half, sorry, six and a half out of ten. Not the best thing I've ever read, but far from the worst. Uh, next up is Superior Spider-Man number two. I'm really digging this book. I I do wish. I kind of like the first issue more in a, in a lot of respects because now that the cat is out of the bag and we know that Peter Parker's still alive, his essence is kind of still there and he's able to see what uh, what, um, what Doc Hawk is doing but he can't do anything about it. Uh, I'm not as big a fan of having that happen because, I don't know, I, I feel like that should have been something that we led up to. It's kind of interesting because it's almost like it's a buddy book without with one buddy being a ghost and the other buddy not being able to see the ghost. Um, I'm glad that Dan Slott kind of quickly addresses the whole Spider-Man and MJ idea and because I know a lot of people are kind of creeped out by it and it reaches a kind of a natural conclusion here um, I like seeing these weird vulture characters here um, the artwork by Ryan Stegman is spectacular and very enjoyable I love how he makes Spider-Man look and just some of the angles and uh, just fantastic stuff And but I, what I really like is Carly Cooper thinking maybe Maybe there's something to when I was shot. Maybe there's something to what Doc Ock said. Um, maybe maybe he was Spider-Man. Maybe not everything is this as it seems. I'm glad that we're getting Carly's really thinking about this. And that's the only thing that really bugged me about issue 700 is that it happens. And I'm like, come on! It's right there. Like That would have been so cool for her to know right away. And now she just has an inkling. And I'm not quite sure how she's going to figure it out. But uh, it's a great concept, for sure. Uh I like so basically I enjoyed this a lot. Um, I'm interested to see where we go from here, and having the vulture in this book. Um, generally speaking, like I'm interested to see what they're doing with Doc Ock acting as Spider-Man. It does suck that like kind of we don't get to have the, kind of the fun stuff I liked about Spider-Man before, where you know him improving his life and you know making his way at Horizons, etc. Um, and now not having it actually be Peter Parker, it kind of takes away from me caring as much about some of that stuff. But I do want to see. How Spider-Man takes on the villains, etc. So I think that could be really cool. Um, so I gave the issue an eight out of ten. Again, I like that it's kind of a buddy book in its own way, but at the same time, I feel like that could have waited. And they're almost leaning too hard on Peter, kind of being there, giving his commentary. Like I think there has to be a little bit more, less of that, because I feel like that's directing the. They're trying to direct the reader on how to react and how to respond and how they're supposed to feel about what's going on on the page. Whereas I could have would have liked. Like to, to not have that, to not have that 
kind of this is how you're supposed to feel about this because Peter's thinking this. I again, I, I think that they made a mistake in some ways, and that they should have drawn it out a bit more. Us getting little clues with subtle hints, and then at the end of like four or five issues, then kind of revealing it. I think the first issue was a little bit too soon, but you know it is what it is, and it's a stylistic decision on how they're going to run the story. I gave it an eight out of ten. Uh, next up is Talon number four. Um, I, th- I found that the last three issues were probably a lot better than this. And I think the main reason is the artwork just felt sharper. Uh, here it felt a lot more uh, lifeless. The colors weren't all that great. Guillaume March is still the illustrator. I don't know. I don't even know what happened. Like I, I didn't go in through it and check maybe if it was something to do with the colorist, but I just found the colors to be rather generic, uh, a little bland, uh, uninspired, and I think that was what kind of dragged the artwork down for me because otherwise it's a pretty solid book I liked that you're basically getting this idea of like this character who could be the arch enemy for Calvin Rose in terms of this uh, this Gotham butcher this very scary talent from the 1800s uh, I like that concept a lot um, uh, I, it, just, it was really cool to kind of see Calvin Rose really being pushed to his limit and still coming out on top and him kind of being able to use his uh, his background as an escape artist I dug this it was by, written by James Tinney the fourth as well as Scott Snyder as a co-writer. Or actually, I didn't even check. He might just be a co-plotter now. Uh, overall, an enjoyable book. Not the best of the week. And I, again, I gave it a 7 out of 10 because the colors weren't quite working. And something about the artwork felt a little off. But overall, still very enjoyable. And that brings us to our last book this week, which is Teen Titans number 16. Um, so this is part of the Death of the Family storyline. Again, they're all ending with a, kind of the same kind of thing happening with Joker having this... Um, I forget the word, but like he's ready. Ah, uh, what's the word? Basically, it's like a plate with a cover. Fancy China speak. I don't know. I can't speak today. Uh, what I liked about this issue is that uh, there was a lot less of the Teen Titans. You have a little bit of Teen Titans and Outsiders uh, action. Uh, sorry, not Outsiders. Outlaws. Uh, and them briefly interacting with each other. But mostly, this is about Red Hood and Red Robin fighting each other. And then turning against Joker. It's really well done fight. Uh, I like how they how it's done. I like how it's illustrated and both how it's illustrated and written. Uh, really engaging material. I actually really like this issue. Again, there's not as much about the Teen Titans. So if you're a fan of the Teen Titans, you're going to get a lot less from this uh, than if you're a fan of the Bat books. Uh, Lobdell and Nicieza, I guess, were writing this, or I guess uh, at least uh, credited with the plots. And then Brett Booth on artwork. He does a very good job of illustrating this fight between the two characters. I'm interested to see, you know, where this book goes next. It looks like we're going to be going into a Trigon and Raven story, which, to be honest, I'm not all that interested in, uh, especially after seeing uh, Raven in Phantom Stranger number one. But, you know, maybe I'll be surprised, or maybe I won't be. Who knows? So I gave it an 8 out of 10, though, because it was an engaging read, and for the most part, the Death of the Family storyline has been pretty enjoyable in almost every book it's been part of, except for maybe Catwoman. Uh, but for the most part, it's been it's been pretty solid. Uh, now, the books I didn't go into this week, now, there's actually a lot of them. Well, I think it's kind of, because this is the fourth week of a month, so it's kind of like the lesser tier books in some ways, so it's a lot of the books that aren't necessarily the top of the heap. You have All-Star Western 16, that's a top seller. Uh, Before Watchmen, Dollar Bill number one. Before Watchmen, Ozymandias number five. Dark Avengers 186, I'm surprised it's still going. Fury of Firestorm number 16, I Vampire 16, Journey into Mystery 648. I just haven't been interested in reading the Sif story. I don't know why. I read the first issue or so, and it just didn't really grab me. I've read a lot of reviews from a lot of different places saying it's a great book. 
it just didn't didn't do it for me. And part of it's because I was such a huge fan of the Kid Loki story, and then seeing that ripped away. And now I'm not as big a fan of Sif or that current status quo, so it, it interests me a lot less. Justice League Dark number 16, Superman 16, I already explained why earlier, why I haven't really been following those. Uh, the new, I guess the next issue or last issue maybe, of Punisher Nightmare. And then I guess I was looking at the shipping schedule. X-Men Legacy technically came out this past week, but I actually reviewed it in episode number 47. Um, so you can check out my review, audio review there. And I won't spoil anything about that review, but I think I enjoyed it. <laughs> Uh, so thanks for joining us for episode number 49 of Comic Shenanigans. I've been your host, Adam Chapman. Uh, next episode that will be going up either on Wednesday, February the 6th, or Thursday, February the 7th, um, depending on the uh, actual recording of the episode, will be the next Talking Hero Clicks installment. Yes, we just had an, an episode of that in, in episode number 48, but uh, we, we talked about for the entire episode number of issue, sorry, the entire episode 48, we talked about the upcoming Amazing Spider-Man Hero Click set. Well, that set officially comes out on February the 6th, so hopefully uh, after we'll have opened up all our packs and we'll sit down and we'll talk about it for a special podcast installment. So look forward to that. That's going to be episode number 50, big number 50, coming out on either February 6th or 7th. Anyways, thanks for joining us for Comic Shenanigans. I, again, I am Adam Chapman, your host. You can email me at comicshenanigans at gmail.com for any feedback, etc. You can also like us on Facebook, because we're now listed on Facebook as well, at Comic Shenanigans. You can also, um, we usually post uh, our links to the episodes on HC Realms, which is the main Heroclix website uh, for the fans. It's the main fan community for Heroclix. Be feel free to uh, give us some com- comments up there so we can get feedback as well. We're trying to make the show better and more enjoyable, so if there's anything that you think is missing, from the show be sure to let us know and we'll uh, try and add it in future episodes anyways thanks for joining us and uh, we'll see you next time